right, it's fall. We're about 30 days away from the tip-off of the 2022-23 college basketball season. And with the return of college basketball comes the return of the A-10 Talk podcast for season three. Sam Basil joined alongside today by Daniel Frank, David Korn, and Kaylee Godek. And guys, I mean, are you are you as excited as I am? I mean, I I, I can't even like exp- like uh, elaborate on on how I'm feeling right now. Season three of the A10 Talk podcast. Happy to be back with you, Sam. Great to have on some new folks with us tonight, and just ready to get this thing rolling. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, this I haven't been this excited about a college basketball season in a while. I think the A10 is going to be just wild. So many different storylines to follow. So many great teams. I could, I like you said, Sam. I cannot be more excited. Yeah, I can't be any more excited. I have to agree with both you, Sam and David. I haven't been looking forward to A10 basketball as much as I have now than ever. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a great season. I mean, especially in the A10, so many moving pieces, so much going on. And first, you know, I just want to say, Kaylee, welcome to the A10 Talk family. We're so excited to have you here. Another new face. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's perfect that you're on our first episode because tonight we're talking about a lot of fresh new faces, you know, in the basketball, in the 14 basketball programs, excuse me, now 15 basketball programs that we now cover here at A10 Talk. You know, not only do we have plenty of new coaches, new incoming players, but we've got a brand new program, Loyola Chicago, that we'll be able to talk about at a later episode. But first, uh, let's talk about three the, the three new head coaches that we've got uh, in, in the Atlantic 10. Starting off with UMass, Kaylee. I think there's a lot of buzz, you know, with uh, with this with this new hire. Obviously, you know, the Matt McCall era ended not in the way that they thought. You know, a lot of people weren't, you know, when, when Matt McCall was taking over UMass, you know, people were not expecting it to end this soon. And especially in the way that it did, there was a lot going on. And then they were pretty quick to hire uh, Frank Martin. And so far, I mean, you know, just based off of his social media presence alone and the fact that, you know, not only is he active on Twitter, you know, boasting about his program and everything, but he's he's going at it with a lot of guys, you know, on on, on A10 Twitter, you know, which is which is a pretty tough thing to do from day to day. Uh, so, Kaylee, you know, my, my first question to you is overall, what do you think the, the general vibe is around UMass, around the culture that, that, that Frank Martin is bringing to this team? I would definitely have to say coach Martin is just wanting to like rebuild the program, like bring it back to like the 1990s, the John Calipari era. He's just trying to build it back up to those glory days. And honestly, bringing in like a former coach at UMass, Derek Kellogg as an assistant also like, is bringing back community members that like left after Kellogg was fired and when Matt McCall was not doing well. Like he's been like trying to outreach to the community so much to get people back in the Mullen Center. It's amazing to finally see that and hoping that we have a few sellouts in the upcoming seasons because of how good he's making this program and getting it back to the days of John Calipari and the final four teams. And so far, I mean, you know, are are you are you a student at UMass right now or no? I am not a student at UMass. Okay. I am so, I mean, grown up UMass, born and raised. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it's you know, you're, you're not on campus to see what's going on, but you know, in terms of 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 his outreach so far to the US UMass community, which you're obviously a part of, uh, how would you say the reaction has been from the fans so far? I will say, like, the fans couldn't be any happier. I felt like last season McCall really was shut off from like 
that community and like just from like the fan base itself, like throughout his entire time. But like Coach Martin has made like it a priority to like reach out to the fans, like get the fans motivated and like energetic to like be back for UMass basketball and for it to be nothing but like the best thing possible. Awesome. And, you know, so, you know, of course, building a culture is the most important thing or not the most important thing, but, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the key tenets of a long, successful coaching career. But, you know, no matter how good your culture is, no matter how much fun your coach is on Twitter, you know, how how much the players like him, what really matters is getting wins. Right. And so, you know, practice has been starting. I've been, I've been reading up about, you know, this new recruiting class, everything that's been going on uh, in offseason practices. And so for you, uh, you know, obviously, you know, there hasn't been a lot of like, you know, stuff that's coming out of these practices, but going in going into this season. What about Frank Martin from an X's and O's standpoint do you think is the key for him, uh, you know, having a successful UMass team? I will say, like, making sure, like, that, like, players will work together since we have, people like, transfers coming in from South Carolina, Louisville, um, UConn, Boston College. You got to, like, make sure that they're all working together and, like, that the team will actually, like, not just, like, have one person scoring all the most of the points and like having like the actual like teamwork there and like having like the coaches like actually wanting to coach and like recruit like good people to come in to play for UMass to rebuild this program is a huge thing. Uh, what you what you were just saying about, you know, guys coming in from different programs, not only just coming in, you know, from high school into the NCAA, but coming from, you know, other conferences like Boston College. I mean, ACC basketball, that's that's a huge that's a huge pickup. I mean, uh, you know, guys from I know the Colonial have have hopped in on the UMass program. Uh, and that was something that Fordham, you know, that was that was one of the biggest challenges for Fordham. Not saying that's something that Fordham that was something that Fordham struggled with, but that was one of their main goals last year, considering all the guys that they had coming in, Darius Quisenberry, uh, Antonio Day, uh, Antrell Charlton, you know, those those guys were huge pieces and they were they were able to make it work. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple cool names that I really thought were, uh, you know, are going to, are going to play a big part in this, in this new UMass team. And the, and the, the one that really stuck out to me, uh, just cause I've been watching him cause you know, I'm a, I'm a New York city based guy. So I, I try to watch as much local hoops as I can. And that's Isaac Conte, um, you know, started off at LIU. Uh, then he went to Hofstra and now he's, now he's with the Minutemen, just a huge, you know, strong, you know, smart forward um and so where do you see him kind of fitting into this rotation do you think he's going to be a big piece going forward I mean it could go both ways we do have like two like big like players that came from the transfer portal um percenters wise Conte I think will be like one of the few players that are like in the rotation but may not be starting every game he was a pick like he committed to UMass right after Kellogg was announced as as an assistant coach and like being on the coaching staff because Kellogg coached Conte at LIU for when he was there and he was nothing but like like a standout player at LIU. And so, you know, one thing that I thought interesting, you know, kind of, you know, with with Frank Martin is, you know, I mean, it it, it makes sense, right? I mean, the biggest thing that, that coaches do when they when they move teams, I mean, they're not only are they coaches, but they're they're recruiters, you know, so a lot of guys, you know, when they go from program to program, uh, they're, they're bringing guys with them. And, you know, Frank Martin, he's coming from South Carolina. He's bringing some SEC talent with him. And uh, I think that's something very similar to what we saw with George Mason last year. 
with, with Kim English, you know, coming from Tennessee. So Daniel, I mean, in your experience uh, specifically with, with coach English, you know, how does, how does bringing talent from a conference like the SEC to the A-10 usually pan out in your, in, in your experience? It's huge. Um, I don't think, I don't think it can be overstated. I mean, it's hard. And I, I say this every time we talk about transfers, with a lot of these guys from Power 5 schools coming down, you never quite know usually what you're going to get ahead of time because the stats usually don't quite look the same. Um, I mean, a guy that is averaging, you know, 10, 12 minutes a game at an ACC school could give you 38 minutes a game um, at the A-10 and give you a double-double a night. Um, I think a great example of this, um, and David, I think, will certainly agree with me here, uh, Joe Bamsdale coming in last year to GW, a guy that I talked about preseason where you look at his Virginia Tech stat line, you really weren't sure what you were going to get to get, and that he just was a stud for GW last year. Of course, he's now moved back up to the Power 5 level at Oklahoma, um, and he's going to be missed at GW. But, um, I mean, Mason's got a lot of great guys coming in this year, too. Um, Victor Bailey Jr. is one we'll obviously get to a little bit later on. Yeah. Um, don't want to get ahead of myself, but... I think it shows that even in year two from King English, he's still getting that, that Tennessee pipeline. He's still got those connections from his time at Tennessee. Um, I think is a really interesting thing to note here. Um, I also got to give a shout out to, as long as we're talking UMass to Matt Cross, um, transfer from Louisville. Um, I have a Louisville person at heart. Um, got a lot of ties to the area. My uncle played on the team back in 86. Um, Matt Cross is a heart and soul guy that I am really excited to see what he does at UMass. Um, what he'll, what he'll bring to the Atlantic 10 level. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome. You know, and so, I mean, that's going to be a huge piece, but I mean, let's not forget that, you know, Noah Fernandes, who, who, who really, I would say, I mean, we've known he's been one of the top guards in the Atlantic 10 for years now, but I mean, uh, you know, seeing him play in DC last year, uh, he's a know, stud, he, absolute stud. Oh my God. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was insane. I mean, uh, I believe it was the game against Richmond, right? Where he was just, he was just going crazy. And so and we don't need to talk about that GW game. That, that didn't happen. No, we, we <laughs> don't need to talk about it. No friend is against GW. Yeah. Good call, Daniel. All right. We won't, we won't bring that up, but maybe I'll try and sneak it in later, later in tonight. But I mean, obviously, you know, you know, no Fernandes, right? Stays with the team for another year. I mean, he's, you know, at this point, you kind of established himself as kind of the heart of the team, you know, both, you know, on the floor and with the fans. And so while, yes, you are trying to build a new program, you're trying to have, you're, you're trying to, you know, create a fresh face for this team. At the same time, I'm, I'm sure, Kelly, you know, you have an attachment to, to players like Fernandes and appreciate the fact that he stayed, you know, through all these changes and this turmoil. So for, for Fernandes and for you as a, as a, as a UMass fan and someone who covers UMass, like, where does he fit into all of this? What is a, what is a realistic goal for Fernandes this season? So I would say he is right now currently coming off of wrist surgery since he did, like he's been playing with the injury for a few years now and he's recovering from that. So I'm just expecting him to get better from that. He's going to be like a huge player, like an asset in the team. I could possibly see him as one of our potential starters. Um, I will say like PJ Weeks too, like he's another person that decided to stick around and see what's going to be going on, especially with his father being part, like part of that team back in the 1990s. Like you're really going to be seeing like the main players. Like we lost a lot of them. Like we lost Debaji Walker. We lost uh, CJ Kelly, just to name a few. Like we lost like key assets that like, 
have been now replaced by these like players that came from power five conferences. But we like the fact that we were able to keep like PJ Weeks and Noah Fernandes, like the two faces of UMass basketball as I see it. Like that's like a huge like progress and like milestone. I thought for sure we could have lost one or both of them. But the fact that they decided to stay around is amazing. And I couldn't be any happier. I mean, that's that's huge. And and, and that's going to be really exciting. I mean, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how, kind of, you know, if, if it takes Fernandes a, a good while to come back, you know, how he kind of fits into this rotation. I mean, you know, maybe even being sort of like, <laughs> uh, you know, an assistant to the assistant to the assistant coach. But looking at their schedule, you know, whether or not, you know, Fernandes comes back earlier, comes back, you know, maybe even with still conference play a little bit. There are some really great opportunities for UMass to to, you know, obviously get some good wins and also to really shine on, you know, a couple, a couple, you know, national invitational events. Um, so, I mean, I, I have my picks, but, you know, I, w- I would love to hear from you first. Uh, looking at their non-conference schedule, what are your favorite matchups for UMass? So I'm going to just like, like slightly mention like our exhibition game, American International College. That's a local school right based out in Springfield in Western Mass, not far from UMass. That's like, that's going to be like a huge thing of seeing like where UMass is going to stand on the season, um, whether they're going to like be, whether we know who's going to be starting or whether we're going to just see, okay, maybe they'll be playing, who knows? It all depends on that game. Like I will say that one's probably going to be a huge one to see with where that goes. Um, next, like the next one I would say like that's big would probably be the game against Towson with it being like kind of a little bit of a homecoming for Ricky Harris because it's based out of his hometown where he used to, um, be like, he used to be and with him now actually being a UMass woman, being a part of this coaching staff, like some of like, if it's going to be a good game for a coach, like you want to try to win that one. Granted, that can go both ways since it's like a good school and a good team. We don't know where it'll end up, but I will definitely say the Harvard game is probably the biggest game of the season for UMass fans with it being like an interstate like rivalry almost. It's like one of the biggest games of the season. It's a sold out game. It's also Harvard's alumni night. It's going to be a booming game. That one's going to be a good one to watch for sure. Um, also, the Myrtle Beach and like invitational, like with a lot of like power conference teams in that, along with A10, um, friend, Loyola Chicago. Um, hope we could face them. We don't know. We could get a little taste of A10 mix there, but I'm going to say it's probably not likely. Um, but like the fact too that we get to play against like these teams from like power five conferences and potentially like a 10 conference before the actual conference starts. It's like a huge plus. Um, like then we also have like the, another inner um, state rivalry of UMass versus UMass Lowell. That one's always a game to watch that can go either way, whether it's UMass winning or UMass Lowell winning, but the past few years, UMass Lowell has not stood a chance. And I don't think UMass Lowell is going to stand a chance yet again. They're going to just get pushed down again. It's the little brother of UMass. It's not going to win. That yeah, one prove has... you're the flagship school, right? <laughs> yeah, you got to prove you're the flagship school. If you don't win yeah. that one, then we got a problem. Hey, as Tori Verdi would say, you got to plant the flag. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm well, sorry, Bernie. UMass Bowl did come into D.C. last year and take down GW in a bye game. Ugh. So, I mean, you never oh, know. God. They had uh, another, like, they had another crazy uh, game, like, yeah, they beat a couple years ago. Yes, yeah, they did. yes, oh, that's God. what it was. That was yeah. Wow. yeah, and then Dayton went on to beat Kansas the next day. So, who knows? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That Dayton team was a fever dream. Yeah, I mean, like, as we're about to wrap up, like, non-conference play, we play in, like, the Hall of Fame Invitational and also Hall of Fame Classic. So I will definitely say, like, the Hall of Fame Invitational is going to be an interesting one to see. Um, we're the nightcap of the entire day, so it's going to be one of the last games to play. Should be a good one. We're back in the Barclays Center, so it's going to be an interesting game to see. Um, it was – I don't really know what to expect of it. It could go either way. Um, same with the Hall of Fame Classic game being actually in Springfield, Mass, um, against North Texas. That one's going to be an interesting one to see. It's not far from campus. Should be an interesting game to see how it really plays out. I don't know where that one's being played yet, but I'm going to take a guess. It's probably the Mass Mutual Center. Mm. So that, like, that's the biggest like place in Springfield that I can think of that would get played at. Um, but if it's going to be like a good game, like it's probably going to be another like big booming game for UMass fans to get out to that's like off campus. Like I would say those two, like Harvard and this game here against North Texas are probably going to be your two like biggest games for UMass fans. Yeah, that's 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 great. I mean, those are those are some really good pickups. I mean, you know, if if not for if not for the opponents, just for the you know, just for the events. I mean, in in my opinion, you know, the you know, outside of maybe like the Battle for Atlantis or like the Maui Invitational, like all the ones that are under the Basketball Hall of Fame banner, which they you know they they kind of play like all over the Northeast. Uh, like I don't know if they might be doing. I don't know if they're doing the Mohegan Sun one this year, but I know UMass is. Uh, shown up like really UMass fans have shown up really well uh, to that one. Um, but the one in Brooklyn is, is, is just such a great pickup. I'll probably try and try and get like a press pass to go to that one. So really good stuff. And it's going to be, you know, uh, you know, a game, a good game for Isaac Conte. You know, you, you, you definitely want to go, <laughs> you go off against your former team. So great stuff. Uh, really excited to see what UMass has has to offer this season. So let's move on to uh, another fresh face in the Atlantic 10 and a fresh face to the A10 pod, A10 Talk podcast. David, uh, you know, let's talk about let's talk about your GW uh, Colonials or soon to no longer uh, be Colonials. You know, uh, have we gotten any information as to what the new name of the team could be? There is a uh, a search firm that has been a, a consulting firm that's been hired to try and figure out what the new name is going to be. The sort of the running favorite that students seem to like is the Revolutionaries, but I really have no idea where they're where they'll go with it. Some people they might some people think they might take like the Harvard Alabama Syracuse route of just going with the color of just going with the buff and blue. I don't really know how I feel about that. Uh, it seems kind of like a mouthful to me, but uh, there is a rumor going around they will let it be a student vote at the end of this year. I heard that somewhere. So that would be really interesting because we could end up then with like a Bodie McBoat face situation, which would always be funny. <laughs> but who re- I, have, I have no idea what they're, where they're going to go with the name. Uh, I kind of hope it's something inoffensive, something not obvious. I mean, like not super out there, just kind of a good classic yeah. name. One thing I did here, which it definitely won't be, which I loved. Daniel, I think you'll appreciate this. It's the GW Fog. <laughs> After, uh, 
Because uh, the neighborhood in DCGW is called the uh, Foggy Bomb, and apparently uh, one of George Washington's like biggest wins on the battlefield was due to there being like intense fog and the British not really knowing sort of their surroundings and him being able to utilize his knowledge of the landscape there. So I obviously don't think there'll be the fog, but that was something cool that one of my friends floated by me. I will add on to that from the uh, perspective of the booster side where um, I kind of grew up and my dad is um, a booster of GW. There's some feathers ruffled that there's really not been a lot of um, place for input from the boosters so far. There was a poll that, or not even a poll, a survey that went out to the community, but there was not a place to suggest nicknames. It was just, what should the new mascot represent? What should be the attributes of the new moniker? And it, yeah, a lot of, yeah, of ruffle feathers there. We got the same form. I didn't fill that out because I didn't really think <laughs> I didn't that either. My imp- I didn't think my input on the, the vibe of the school really would do anything. No. So. <laughs> I gotta say, the fog is kind of cool. Like Kansas who? <laughs> no, we're the fog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I like it. I like it. Well, no, because it's like I was thinking about it. It's like the Oklahoma City Thunder, like Tampa Bay Lightning, like GW Fog. Why not? It's a force of nature, you know. You can't you can't reckon with that. Hey, if nothing else, we'll just bring another Ram to the Atlantic Ten because that's really <laughs> what the Atlantic Ten needs. Yeah. yeah, no, that's that's something that's been discussed with the students too. Just going as a just saying we want to be the Rams and not really budging. You don't want to go to you don't want to go to war with the Rams. I mean, as long you know, knowing knowing Fordham's history with uh, with live Ram mascots, you know, as long as long as you guys don't go for a live mascot, I think we should be good. Uh, but you know, before we, you know, before they figure out, you know, uh, their new name, you know, they got to figure out, you know, how they're going to be playing with their new head coach, Chris Caputo. Uh, so you know, he took charge, you know, pretty early uh, in the off season. I mean, he was he was a pretty early uh, pickup because I felt like you know after last season. Um, Everyone, or even, you know, even going into 2021, 22, uh, you know, you, me and Daniel talked about a lot on this podcast. Uh, you know, Jamie and Christian was, was in a pretty hot seat. So, I mean, before we, before we, you know, go into, you know, the season ahead, I mean, let, you know, if we can kind of, you know, autopsy the, the Jamie and Christian era of GW, um, what do you think? You know, I think we've gotten a lot, I've, I've, I've heard a lot about what Great Daniel guy. had to say. You know, great guy, you know, seemed like he really, you know, you know, he was, he was a player's coach. Um, but you know, that doesn't always get you wins. So in, in, in your opinion, from what you saw, what went wrong there? He was a great leader of men. He, he had a good locker room. He he could have used a little more basketball in my opinion. (laughs) You know, if, if his job was just to be a motivator and a, a friend and, you know, just a, a happy presence, a smiling face, like he would have perfect for it. But I think it became clear near the end that we needed an upgrade and it wasn't really going to work just to have two or three passes on the perimeter on the offensive end and hope someone can find a shot from there. And just to run around kind of aimlessly on the defensive end and hoping you can get a steal or block. So I think it became clear that that wasn't working. And so even though GW kind of overachieved last year in conference, by going about 500, they, that record was deceptive. Look back on it. At the time, I was very happy with it. But looking back on it, the teams we beat, like the biggest upset we had was against Rhode Island. And Rhode Island was a pretty big disappointment last year. Yeah, also and everyone else coach. we Exactly. No, like everyone else we beat, like we beat LaSalle. We beat Duquesne twice. You know, 
We beat George Mason once with that Josh Oduro. Like, it's, there weren't really any good wins. And so, yeah, I guess he took care of business sometimes, but I think it was clear that there was time to make a change. And even though that ultimately did result in what I believe to be the departure of Brown Freeman, because Joe Bama sold out the door no matter what, even though that did result in Brown Freeman uh, going, doing a, a rare, very rare in-conference transfer to Rhode Island. Uh, I, I do think it was the right decision. And just in the few interactions I've had with uh, Coach Caputo, um, talking to him, you know, talking to some of the players and what they think of him, I could not be more excited about the direction GW basketball is headed in. He has been a just, – just the difference in conversations I've had with him. Like, he, he doesn't do coach speak when you speak to him. He's really straight up. You know, he talks to all media, all students, like they're adults since they know the game. You know, he wants to run a pretty advanced offense for our level. You know, he loves the personnel. And one of the things he said to me, which really instilled my belief in him, was uh, when he was talking about his sort of recruiting cycle and transfer cycle. And GW actually has an open scholarship spot this year that we are that was we were choosing not to fill. And uh, kind of in response to that, Caputo was talking about how he doesn't want to just sign some flashy name and sort of get Twitter likes, which I think was sort of a dig at Frank Martin when he said that, and that <laughs> he really wants to get guys who are there for the program and who are, you know, he believes he can work with. And so he only really made two sort of additions that were his guys. Uh, Max Edwards, a uh, transfer, uh, redshirt freshman from Kansas State, who was projected to be their seventh or eighth man, and E.J. Clark, a really solid point guard at Alabama State who is projected to be a backup this year. And so, yeah, those are the two guys he got. And when he said that to me, it made it clear that, like, yes, these are guys that he believes will fit. These weren't just sort of whoever would sign for him. These are people he believed in. And that sort of intentionality and that, I guess, belief in himself and in the program and not just trying to appease the social media mob or the fans or whoever made me feel really, really good about the direction of the program. Yeah. And so, you know, one thing that I, that I found that was really interesting about Caputo is that, you know, obviously, you know, he, he had that, he, he was, he learned, you know, at Miami, you know, really well under Jim Laranaga. Uh, and you know, George Mason. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's actually exactly what I, what, I, what I wanted to bring up. So, you know, he spent six years at George Mason. Uh, you know, I, I think George Mason wasn't in the A-10 the entire time. He was he was there. He left after the 12, 11, 12 season, I want to say, from George Mason. Yeah. Um, but he was on the Final Four coaching staff in 2006. Larry Nega credits Caputo for the Final Four and credits his scout work for the reason they advanced. Yeah, I mean, that's that's huge. And so, you know, obviously, you know, he's 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 had experience at a current A-10 school but you know largely doesn't have a lot of a10 experience but you know being familiar with you know certain programs and being familiar with the conference is i think such a huge skill for incoming coaches specifically in the a10 because i feel like over the past couple years the a10 has kind of established themselves as you know for better or worse kind of like a weird conference you know what i mean i mean it's a very specific style of play uh, you know, it's, you know, I, I would say on a national stage, there's years where we're, we're really hot and years where we're really not, uh, especially when it comes to the bid conversation, y'all, you know, although, you know, as, as much doom and gloom comes, comes to this conference, sometimes, you know, we always manage to get that second bid, but uh, how important is that knowledge for, for an incoming coach to this conference? It's huge. It's huge. And I think more than just the conference, the DMV area itself, 
Capito. Capito is one of the most connected people in the game of basketball. He is friends with everybody. He is uh, dear, dear friends with Adrian Wojnarowski, with Eric Spolstra, um, uh, acquainted acquainted with LeBron James. Um, he knows everybody. He says he's friends with Patrick Ewing, too. Like, if they are anybody in basketball, Caputo's met him. And so just, I feel like he has a, Daniel, you want to say something? I just want to, because you mentioned Patrick Ewing, I want to ask you this question. I think Sam knows where I'm going with this already. Will Chris Caputo be the coach that finally gets Georgetown to play GW? This is a question I want to know. I will answer this off the record after the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. it. Oh, man. My man. Oh, man. What a tease. Come on. Your first episode here. Um, I I can't say. I can't say. I've been sworn to secrecy. But all right. So I'm not going to make you break that off. There are are conversations. Interesting. That's, you know what? That's enough. So I mean, there are for, conversations and there are specific circumstances. I will say that you've got my interest. Wow. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to. You heard it here, folks. The Eight Ten Talk podcast. Wow. So I don't want. I don't want ha- have anything more slip. You know, I, I I feel like we we got we got a good little little morsel out of you, but you know hypothetically if 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 this if this game happens um you know obviously you know dc is a a a storied basketball town in college basketball i mean so many great programs in the dmv area you know goes toe-to-toe with boston new york philly uh clears boston clears boston oh yeah i mean well you know um I, i i gotta throw them in there but uh what what would a game in the you know in the next maybe five years, let's say uh, against Georgetown, even if it's even if it's at Georgetown, I mean, what would that mean for the George Washington program? Well, so the thing about Georgetown is that even an away game at Georgetown would basically be a neutral site because they don't play on campus; they play at the Capital One Arena, and so mm-hmm. that's actually geographically closer to GW than it is to Georgetown, and easier for GW students to get to. So. I mean, I can it, I can just say the appetite is definitively there. This has been something for for folks who do not know. This is a game that there is tremendous appetite for in the DC area. The BBT Classic, for those who remember, was like one of the premier MTEs. Exactly before MTEs were a thing, there was the BBT Classic, and the mm-hmm. original idea was to get GW Georgetown Maryland to play each other every year. Georgetown was a little bitch and backed out of it, and then. Ever since, there's been this ongoing thing. Georgetown refuses to play GW, and this is a huge deal. Wow. Yeah. So, so uh, if, it, if, if that game were to happen, it would be a big deal. GW students would go. Even the GW students who don't really care about basketball would go because we have a sort of little brother inferiority complex to them, and they'd love a chance to stick it to them. So even yeah. the ones who don't care, maybe, I don't know, they got rejected from Georgetown and had to end up GW. They would love to go to the capital and stick it in their faces if we were to upset them. So I think there would be a huge appetite for that sort of game. And I know there's buzz, and everybody wants it. Wow, really interesting. So, I mean, you know, hypothetically, if, if that game happened like this year, if it, if it happened, you know, in, in non-conference play, uh, what about this GW team do you think uh, would let them? What about their style of play? You know, obviously there's so much new 
uh, energy around the team. So it's hard to say, but you know, what about, you know, their, what, what, what you're expecting this team's identity to be uh, would allow them to, you know, hold their own against Georgetown. So I'm actually going to disagree with something you said. There's, you said there's a lot of new energy surrounding this team. GW actually has the most returning minutes, upper, most returning upperclassmen, upperclassmen minutes in the conference. And so oh, wow. they actually have some really, I think, a huge advantage going into this season with a lot of established chemistry. And then the two guys that came out, you actually have two very similar types of players coming in. You know, Max Edwards. Uh, from Kansas State, who I mentioned earlier, is kind of going to play that Joe Bamisol role where you're kind of that athletic, switchy three. And they have pretty similar offensive games. Both can drive, both can dunk. Uh, Max Edwards does have another year of eligibility, though, because he is a redshirt freshman. He does have four years at GW. Then EJ Clark can kind of play that facilitating backup point guard role that Brayon Freeman played. So in my opinion, the best thing about GW is this sort of continuity. And then you just add that sort of coaching upgrade and I really think that that coaching upgrade itself literally just the ability to sort of run some more advanced offenses set you know that ability to switch up the defense if something isn't working you know maybe throw a double somewhere when they if a specific player is playing really well um just all of that I think that will be one of GW's biggest advantages the other thing is that they're gonna be a big team uh their starting point guard is going to be Brendan Adams who is at 6'4 and probably uh, he's kind of used to defending threes and he's going to be at the point. So uh, we'll be able to sort of play a lot of bully ball down low. We have a ton of front court depth, so we can switch those bigs in and out depending on matchups. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be a homer here. I'm really not. I'm, I think GW is being incredibly undervalued and really overlooked in this conference, and they could be a significant player. I'm not saying they'll be like top four or anything, but I think in that middle ground sort of, they definitely fit there. And I don't think team sort of sits out in that third, second or third tier in the A-10. And GW, I think, really could make a push to be one of the better teams in the conference. Wow. And so, you know, looking at their non-conference schedule, what games do you think George Washington uh, can, you know, most effectively prove that, that they're ready to make that push? Uh, so we actually got a really favorable non-conference schedule, I think, where we play two local schools in Howard and AU, both at home. And then we have two guaranteed Power 5 matchups. South Carolina is coming to D.C. to play us, which is very, very exciting, fulfilling a home-and-home that we agreed upon about three or four years ago. Uh, And that'll be really fun because, uh, you know, uh, Kayla, I'm sure you know Gigi Jackson. uh, He'll be coming to the Smith Center, and so that'll be really fun to see him. He'll probably be the best individual player GW will face all season. And then uh, in our... Empty. I don't, yeah, at our uh, tournament over Christmas in Hawaii, we'll be facing Washington State in our first game, which is uh, another guaranteed Power 5 matchup. And they're supposed to be pretty good middle-of-the-pack Pac-12 team. And so, I mean, I just think if we can keep it close with those teams. And South Carolina, other than Gigi Jackson, not great. They're not a great team. They are a team GW could steal some wins from, especially from a Rocket Smith Center crowd. That game's going to have a 9 p.m. tip-off. The crowd will be antsy. The crowd will be into it. That'll be a lot of fun. And so I just think this non-conference schedule gives us a really good opportunity to sort of pad some wins against an easy local, easier local opponents, but also have the opportunity to try and swing and punch up to some power fives. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds like some, you know, some really great stuff. I would I, honestly, I think, I mean, I'm not even a GW fan and I'm dying to see them, you know, to, you know, kind of, kind of bust out in this conference. I mean, I, I, I think they're due. 
All right. So, I mean, that that was as great of a breakdown as any, you know, that we've gotten on on, on GW so far on this podcast. So, uh, you know, great Ooh. stuff. Sorry, was that was that shots no, fired no, at me? No, no, no. Damn! No, we're just getting better. We're just we're Come just on, a podcast man. that's getting better Ooh. and better every year. You know, that's that's all I'm saying. I would never, I would never dig, I would never dig uh-huh. at you, Daniel. Uh-huh. Um, so <laughs> one thing that one thing that you brought up that I thought was really interesting that I think kind of ties back into UMass. You were saying, you know, GW is, is scheduled to play. South Carolina, you know, who has not really been that hot in the SEC in the last couple of years, their departing head coach, Frank Martin. And, you know, so looking at, you know, I think, I, I, I don't think that UMass fans should not be excited about Frank Martin. I think they absolutely should be. But Kaylee, you know, looking at, you know, doing the research, I feel like, you know, it was interesting to see, you know, all right. So at, at South Carolina from, from 2012 to 2022, uh, total record of 171, 147, 79 and 99 in the SEC. Uh, with, you know, once, once he got announced as, as the UMass head coach, I mean, obviously, you know, a record is not the be all end all, uh, you know, test of what a coach can do and how he can coach a team. But did anybody bring that into question in the, in the, in kind of the UMass community? I haven't really seen it, but did you see anything like that? I have not seen or heard anything like that. Um, like that's the first I've actually heard of it, but that's also because I'm not constantly checking Twitter on what <laughs> UMass is saying. Um, because I do have a life outside of UMass, but like I do check it enough that I have not seen that at all. And all I saw when they were going through the coaching process was the possibility of the St. Bonaventure coach coming to UMass. And I think that would have just caused so much chaos that I don't even want to know what would happen there. Oh my god! I, you know what? I like. I completely forgot about that. I, the Mark Schmidt UMass <laughs> hype train was. You know, it was probably because I. Who was that? Who was that guy? Out who of my was mind. Like all that. Oh what god! That the, the reporter who was like, "It's a done deal." Yeah, oh, yeah. That, uh, that weird Twitter avatar. Blood. I don't remember. Yeah, blood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All I remember like yeah. seeing every night was, oh, he's a like. After he would announce something like that, no one like UMass would get on spaces, and then they would talk about it, and they're like, oh, like should we actually trust this? Should we like think he's just throwing it out there just to get us like bite the bait and like take it all? But thankfully, like we did not like we did take the bait for like a hot like two minutes. But then when he announced that Martin was going to be the next head coach, that one was a little, like, we were all, like, iffy, like, oh, that's not true. Like, that's not going to happen because of what happened with the first time we almost took the bait there. But by actually not taking the bait, he was actually right, which wow. is surprising. Yeah, that that's crazy. I completely forgot about that. Um, yeah, the you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess it worked out. So, I mean, I, I we'll have to see. I mean, you know, it's 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 not something. You know, his his record at, at his conference record at South Carolina is not something to really hold over the guy. And I I, I wasn't I, well, I'm not trying to. Four. Yeah. So he like that's all you need to say. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's like I just I just thought that was interesting. <laughs> You're probably better off for not being that active on Twitter. I will say, but I will say UMass. I will say UMass specifically. Twitter spaces are kind of undefeated, like electric, I, yeah. electric. Those like, I will say, yes, 
I've listened and contributed to those. Holy Crow, I will say that is probably the most, like, I will actually be on Twitter. Like, I think when Curry Hicks stage did his, like, stage of the union about, like, all these coaches, I think that was, like, the best one possible to, like, listen to. And no, absolutely. Hands down, that one's, like, the best spaces I've ever listened to. Nothing against A-10 spaces. No, no, no offense taken. I mean, no one can touch Curry. Yeah, well, we should, we should probably get him on the podcast at some point. Oh, we should. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, plenty, plenty of time to, plenty of time to be talking Twitter spaces, plenty of time, you know, before we can get Curry on. Uh, I get, yeah, I I guess we'll move on to Mason. So, uh, you know, no new head coach, but I think, you know, a big, you know, this is, this is the next step, right? I mean, the sophomore year of a, of a head coach is probably just as important if not more important than uh, than their first year. Because, you know, you made it, you know, Kim English made it through the gauntlet. Uh, you know, he exited the, the, the A-10 tournament, probably not in the way that he wanted to, uh, losing to Fordham. Um, but, like, Daniel, uh, going into this year, I mean, what's what's the next step? What's, what's if, if you're Kim English right now, or if you're, you know, the George Mason Athletic Program, you know, and you're looking at yourself in the mirror, what are you saying that you have to do to continue to build this program? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm not sure. Mason Twitter is a very small and insulated space, so I'm really not sure how much has kind of gotten out to the larger A10 Twitter community. Expectations internally are are secretly very, very high for this season. Um, very, very serious conversations are being had behind the scenes of George Mason Twitter about top four legitimate top four belief um and i go back and forth on a daily basis in my head about how realistic i think that is um i think a lot of that has to do with from with just emotional scarring from the dave paulson era um (laughs) my freshman year at mason so what 2018 season uh, i guess it would have been was like the the year that paulson was supposed to make the the ncaa tournament we had um Jair Grayer, we had Jared Reuter, the UVA transfer, and Mason went 500 in the A10. Um, and that was a total dud of a season. And so, like, I feel like it's a similar level of expectation, except obviously the buzz is totally different because Kim English is like a legit coach, and we've got legit NBA guys potentially on this roster. We have arguably Mason thinks we do with Josh Oduro, anything's possible, is what, yeah, he'll be a good 10 day contract. I will say George wow. Mason also this is shots fired. This is some eight like GW Mason going back and forth. Revolutionary here. rivalry. Oh man, this is killing me because I'm on both sides of it too. Ah. Um, I will say Mason thinks that we have one of, if not the best incoming transfers in the entire conference in Victor Bailey Jr. He's arriving from Tennessee. The dude's about a hundred points shy of a thousand points for his career. He's been in Oregon before he was at Tennessee. Dude is a legit stud from by all accounts, from everything I've heard. I've not yet laid eyes on the guy, but from from those who have, they have loved every minute of Victor Bailey Jr. Um and and Davon Cooper apparently has taken some real steps forward. The uh, this season is going to be as much as we hyped Josh Oduro last year, this is about George Mason having a cast around Josh Oduro this season. If George Mason's going to do anything. There's going to be that cast of characters. 
Yeah, it's it's a. I'm going to say it's a big cast of characters physically, right? I yeah. mean, you know, Victor Bailey Jr. I think he's like six four. I'm looking at him, looking at the him right big now, dude. Uh, you know, you got a lot of six six guards, six five guards. So, do you think you know Kim English? I mean, you know that game against Fordham in the A10 tournament, and even the games that they played during the regular season, um, those were really physical, down low, scrappy games. I mean, that is like, I mean, it's not really the identity of A10 basketball. It's it's kind of like these those matchups are a little bit of an outlier in our in in this conference, but um, it's it's still really fun to watch. So, I mean, do you think you know? Is, is that going to be a priority for, for Mason right now is, is getting teams to kind of play, you know, to their level a little bit. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think between Josh Oduro and this transfer for Virginia tech, whose name I, I am going to butcher and I apologize, but Ginka Ajayo, I think is his name. He from guys on the inside of the giant killer team say that he has size. Like they have not seen since Siobhan Thompson, which is a name that may not mean a whole lot to a 10 circles, kind of a little bit the CAA days, um, but some legitimate size that I think, I mean, really, you took Josh Oduro out of the game last year, and there was a huge ga- huge talent gap that fell off. Nothing against Malik Henry. The talent level fell off heavily. If you get a guy like this kid from Virginia Tech that can come in, be a one-two punch, a legitimate one-two punch, for when Josh is having an off night, when he's in foul trouble, will do, I think, I do not think you can overstate the importance of that. Um, and I would be remiss, too, if I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of uh, bearing the lead a little bit here. Justin Fernandez, arguably the top recruit in George Mason history, incoming freshman this year. He was on the roster and on campus for the spring semester, didn't play, obviously, um, and didn't burn any eligibility, but kind of got a little bit of the flavor of, of going through 810 conference play from the bench, seeing it firsthand. He's been electric in practices. I saw him this summer at Kenner League. Crazy athlete. He'll be one of the top, like, top bodies, just physical specimens in the conference. I cannot tell you how excited I am for this season. Like, I am guarded, and I, and like, on a scale of one to 10, I'm about a seven, I think, of like what I think my expectations are. I am so excited, though, for this season. I-, I want this to be the year that George Mason does something and finally does something, which they have not really done since joining the Atlantic 10, and I so badly want it to be this season. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really interesting, you know, kind of kind of build for, for a team, right, especially for the Atlantic 10. Um, you know, a lot of times when, you, you know, you kind of got guys that are all kind of the same – play style it's usually because the team's got a lot of like you know smaller ball handlers a lot of shooters um and you know it's it's hard because it's like who's who's bringing the ball up court um and it's kind of like the opposite right like uh for this mason team like who's who's getting fed down low and so like for you like what would you kind of if, if you were if you had a, if you kind of had a, a a starting uh rotation you know i mean who would you put like down low who would you put kind of like more at the wings a little bit well, Josh is your five. Josh Adair is your, is your starting center Naturally. in the discussion. Um, there's discussion about what the starting point guard is going to be. Um, I've heard Ronald Polite has taken some serious steps this offseason. The jury's out. Um, but he's someone that could be up in the rotation. Davon Cooper apparently was sensational in Kenner League um, and has taken a lot of steps this offseason. He's someone that will definitively be in that mix. I think it's hard to leave Justin Fernandez out of the starting lineup. Victor Bailey Jr. is obviously in there. 
I mean, you're running out of spots at a certain point. I mean, this kid, Saquon Singleton, the transfer from New Mexico, um, looks like he could be a really valuable asset, even sixth, seventh guy off the bench. Um, you know, Ajayo from Tech. I mean, at a certain point, it's a, it, on paper, it's a little bit of embarrassment of riches. Now, obviously, how this plays out on the court could be completely different. I, I have seen this recipe, not just with George Mason, but just at A-10 schools in general. You know, you, you look at a roster on paper, you're like, damn, that's a good team. And it doesn't always pan out, which is why I'm being so guarded, because I don't want to get my hopes up too much. Though I feel like this is flowing <laughs> out of my mouth as just nothing but just gushing about this roster. Yeah. But um, it, I'm excited. One thing that's that that I I would love to you know kind of dig into you know that that uh, that both of you guys just mentioned um you know for anyone who's who's listening that might not know can you explain the Kenner League and like what that, that means like how important it is for kind of like DC basketball culture so uh, the Kenner League is uh, DC's uh, semi pro uh, pro am league and over the summer pretty much any DC based college basketball player will try and get in and play. Uh, this summer, it was a ton of fun. You know, all three Grant brothers got on the court together. You know, we saw some other NBA talents. Uh, it was just a great time. And this year, not so many GW guys do it. Usually, pretty much every GW, George Mason, Georgetown, and Maryland player plays in the Kenner League. But there were a ton of Mason people there this year. Uh, uh, Ticket Games looked awesome in it. Uh, like you mentioned, Cooper looked great. Justin Fernandez talking about threw down some crazy dunks, and he was an absolute menace in transition. You can't really glean too much from it. And one of the big issues is that there aren't really any big men in the Kenner League. It's pretty much just five out and playing pickup. So uh, one of the big things that happened is GW's backup center, Noel Brown, who's like seven foot 260, was in the Kenner League. And he looked amazing because he was going up against six, five high schoolers. Wow. And like those are the guys guarding him down low. So it's, you have to look at it uh, from an angle and kind of understand what you're getting. But it's a ton of fun. You know, it's free. They play in Georgetown's on-campus arena where the women's basketball team plays and where like all the banners from Georgetown's national championships are. It's a really fun league, uh, really cool to go to. It's, you can't look too much into it, just like any sort of pro-am situation. You can't look too much into it, but it is a really good way to kind of see someone's potential, see someone's raw athleticism, see someone's just pure shot-making ability, stuff like that. So you have to know what to look for, but it is a value. Yeah, I think a great example of of maybe overselling the value of Kenner League, A.J. Wilson, um, a name that folks may remember, um, one of the most electric dunkers in recent Mason history, won Kenner League MVP a couple summers ago, and then proceeded to have a very average season in the Atlantic 10 for George Mason. Um, he he lost some balance. He put on a little bit of weight. Um, ironically, then went and transferred to South Carolina and played for Frank Martin. So there's your other, your tie-in again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, interesting, interesting connections there. Yeah, very interesting stuff. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, like uh, the NBA bubble, right? I mean, you know, it's it's a totally different environment when you're kind of just playing in an open gym. Um, but Daniel, so looking forward, I mean, this is a big year for for Mason, you know, a, a, kind of a, a watershed year for them. So, I mean, looking at their non-conference schedule, where do you, where does, you know, the, the reputation of this team kind of make or break itself? Yeah, Mason's got a weird schedule. Um, I love their not, I, I love their neutral games. I love their road games. I hate their home schedule. 
the home I mean the home schedule is it's got a lot of cupcakes, which we will inevitably lose one or two because it is George Mason and this is what we do. Mm. Um I got four games I circled here that I kind of want to highlight. Um opening the season on the road at Auburn is I mean, George Mason, if they go on the road opening night of the season and win at Auburn, is going to turn some heads. It's going to do kind of what we thought the Maryland win last year was going to do and really didn't because Maryland just sucked last year. But that brief moment in time was so much fun. Um, you, But a little bit of a different piece there. You, you, Pearl, especially seeing the this last summer and played some really, really high-level teams – um, and competed their butts off and looked really, really good in doing so. Um, I, I think that, I mean, obviously, that goes without saying. Um, then they go to the Paradise Jam uh, around Thanksgiving. They open with Boston College. Uh, so though if UMass can't get Boston College, George Mason evidently can in Paradise. Um, and they get, and then Belmont potentially as a second game. Um, and I forget who else is in the field, but it's it's a solid field. I think Boston College is probably one of the better teams in the field. Um, so drawing them kind of in round one at least assures you that you're going to get them. Um, could be a nice net ranking boost to George Mason if they can get that one. The the real the only really decent home game they have on their slate is Toledo, uh, December third. Who is a team, if I'm not mistaken, was in the NIT last season. Um, I think Dayton played them in the opening round of the NIT, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, and then they had a crazy, they had a crazy game in their conference tournament against yeah. Akron. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're a sneaky team. So, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, it's the, the sexiest name on paper, but a team I think that could give George Mason a real game. Um, and then they got a really, really weird game, the 17th of December in Chicago against Tulane. I really want to know the story behind this game because this was a late addition to the schedule. And it just kind of popped up out of nowhere. It's like, why the hell are we playing in Chicago? Mason has no obvious ties to Chicago. There's no one on the roster from like Chicago. I don't know how. And neither does Tulane. Yeah, it's it's very very weird. Um, but George Mason versus Ron Hunter, the, the famous stool from the Georgia State days, is now at Tulane, and uh, that's one last tune up before a ten play. And uh, I think that you know between all those, I think we'll get a decent idea of what this George Mason team is going to be made of. Interesting. Yeah, some some really good stuff. Um, one thing I thought was interesting about all three of these teams is, you know, Mason, Mason, GW, and UMass all playing Hofstra. So, yeah, you know, Hofstra's got a really great schedule. The pride, you yeah, know. GW's going, going to Hofstra. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe they're trying to make a push for the A-10. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I would say the A-10's, you know, goes toe-to-toe with the CAA. Hey, Probably. Bernie said that we're not done adding teams potentially, so who knows? Oh my god! Could you imagine oh like god. a sixteen like a, teams? Oh my god! Who, who who do we? Who's the? Who's next? Who's next? Oh, uh, we did a whole bit about this last year, and I made a whole argument why Bellarmine should be the sixteenth team. We don't need to go into that. <laughs> well, that was our April Fools. That was our yeah. April Fools article too. Yeah, that, that got was, some clicks. Yeah, I was scrolling through. I was scrolling through the the website today, just trying to you know you know, refresh myself and some stuff we could talk about. I was like, I was like, wait, what? And then I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, April 1st. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, all right. So uh, I guess, I guess our last one, we can, we, you know, maybe we could talk about my Fordham Rams a little bit. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> Fordham, uh, you know, not, I was not expecting Fordham to be back in the, uh, you know, coaching carousel this off season. Although I am thankful that it was a much shorter waiting period 
than than what we saw, uh, you know, post Jeff Newbauer. I mean, because obviously Jeff Newbauer left in the middle of the season. Um, but you know, I think the announcement when it when it happened of Coach Neptune leaving for for Villanova to take over Jay Wright's spot. Um, it came as a big shock to a lot of people, especially with what Coach Neptune built in his first year, his only year at Fordham. Um, people were upset. People were surprised. You know, people were pointing their fingers and laughing. Um, and I think, you know, it's been it's been six months now. I feel like I've kind of I went through like the seven stages of grief in in, in honestly a week because as as quickly as 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 Coach Neptune went. To Villanova, it was announced that you know assistant coach Keith Ergo, who had been with Coach Neptune at Nova, was with him this this first year at Fordham. You know he was named immediately. He was named interim head coach, and after a couple of days, they decided, you know what, we're going to bump you up to you know we're getting rid of that interim title, and we're just making you the full time head coach. And you know I I, I talked to him. Uh, I was able to talk to him on the phone. You know right when that when when that announcement was made, I talked to him about a month ago. Um, you know, kind of check in, see how the offseason was was going. And I have to say, I mean, you know, obviously I, I don't want to say that Coach Neptune leaving was a good thing, but, you know, if 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 the team was to fall into anyone's hands, I think Fordham fans should be really excited that they've fallen into the lap of, of Coach Ergo because, if anything, it just shows that this team is able to, you know, have some a, a huge sense of continuity because, you know, if you really think about it, I mean, you know, Coach Erger was with Coach Neptune at Villanova. He was there at Fordham last year. From from a from you know from certain ways that you you kind of cut it, we're really looking at kind of the same team. You know what I mean? The same identity, the same style of play that was really exciting to see in the Atlantic 10 last year. And, you know, Coach Ergo, one thing that he really emphasized was the fact that, yeah, Coach Neptune was the face of his program for for that one year. Uh, you know, he was the guy talking to the media. He was the guy, you know, calling plays on the court. But at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to recruiting and and building relationships with a lot of these players, a lot of that, because the head coach is so busy doing, you know, very important things, a lot of that does fall on the assistant coaches. So, you know, usually when you have that fallout where a head coach leaves and a bunch of guys enter the transfer portal, they were able to really mitigate that and, uh, and you know, keep a lot of guys. I mean, Darius Quisenberry is coming back. Antrell Charlton's coming back. Uh, they were able to land a huge Power 5 transfer in Khalid Moore from Georgia Tech. Um, so I think, you know, this team is is not, you know, you know, you could say that they might still be in a, a bit of a rebuild, you know, post post Jeff Neubauer, but it's 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 not a step back. If anything, it's 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 two steps forward. So I think it'll be really interesting to see. Uh, you know, I think people should be really excited for this for this team going forward. Um, in terms of of, of what they'll see, um, I think we'll see a huge contribution uh, from this from this freshman class. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that 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 are coming in, Elijah Gray. Will Richardson, um, you know, they're, they're ready to make huge contributions. I mean, you know, coach Ergo was gushing about, you know, the, 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 um, the talent, the skill set that a guy like Elijah Gray has. Um, he's really versatile. They played that tournament. They played a couple, not a tournament, but they played a couple games uh, down in the Caribbean this summer. That was a huge boost for them. It really allowed them to kind of like gel as a team. Uh, you know, 
you know, kind of figure out like what, what, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. And, you know, I think they came out of it really, really strong. Um, and in terms of, you know, their schedule, I think this is going to be a really good test. It's not, I would say their non-conference schedule last year in terms of overall, like opponent talent might've been a bit better, but I think in showing what this team can do, I think Fordham is set up really, really well. Um, couple couple highlights for me i mean they're going to go down to arkansas to play our uh you know the razorbacks you know their their second non-conference game of the year um they're actually hosting an mte i mean you know say what you will about the size of rose hill gym and you know how it's how it's one of the oldest gyms in america but i mean the fact that they're able to you know get some get some you know school you know smaller schools from the northeast including their football rival holy cross which i think is really exciting about they never they hardly ever schedule each other in uh, in, in non-conference play. Um, you know, down there, you know, right before Thanksgiving is going to be really interesting. Um, they're playing Harvard. They're hosting Harvard, hosting Maine. Uh, they're they're also playing Tulane this time in New Orleans at you know a, a, a place for both teams that that makes a bit more sense. But overall, I think this is this is going to be a really interesting Fordham team to watch. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much all I got to say about that. <laughs> Can I ask you? Where do you one think the question? realistic finish? Oh, you go, you go, Daniel. Sorry. No, go ahead. You had a more on topic question. I want to ask about Kyle Neptune at Villanova. So you'll you'll go first. <laughs> yeah, we can we can talk I about that. Gonna, I was going to say, what do you think the realistic finish for them? Well, look, I mean, they were a quarterfinal team last year, right? So I think you know a realistic finish for them is. Well, well, you know, uh, uh, you know, after the, uh, yeah, I, I want to say, you know, you have to keep improving, but I mean, uh, an improvement from the quarterfinals is the semifinals of the A10 tournament, which is huge. And I think Fordham, you know, the, the, the fact that they were able, that they're able to, you know, you know, maintain that, that same identity and, 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 and keep pushing and, and pushing it to some of these top teams, uh, you know, just like Mason wants to do, just like George Washington wants to do. I, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's a realistic goal for them to, you know, stay as, you know, a threat on the second, third day of this tournament. Um, you know, while while I think, you know, maybe a push for the semifinals is tough for them just because of the talent in this conference, I think it's something that they should strive for. And if not, they'll fall back on something that's that's just as successful. I think in my uh in my preseason conference play prediction, I I I said that they would go nine and nine. So I think I'm going to stick with that. I think that's a really good mark for Fordham. I mean, if they go 10 and eight, that'd be excellent, but it's, it's just really tough to say with this conference. You know what I mean? I mean, I think honestly going forward, I, you know, Daniel, you know, I, you know, I love doing this comp, uh, this, this podcast with you. I love working with you at a 10 talk, but I think we've really got a Fordham Mason kind of beef brewing just with the, <laughs> the stages of development that these, that these programs are in. And how I think they really, really match each other so well on the court, both in style of play and talent. I think the George Mason Ford games that we're going to see this year are going to be the most important games to watch for both of these teams. So that's that's all I'll say about that. Um, it's tough uh, to say. Tim, I, oh, yeah, go for it. So I noticed, like, I pulled up the Fordham schedule. I noticed that you actually, like, Fordham was actually able to schedule more teams from Massachusetts and the New England region than UMass was. And also the fact too that you also got Stonehill College in there too, who is brand new to the NCAA D1 level this year. So yeah, that's, no, really that's interesting to see. That's really interesting because we also scheduled, well, I don't want to say we, but you know, Fordham also scheduled last year 
uh, a new D1 team in St. Thomas, which I think is from Minnesota. And that game was like a little, like a little too close than I, that I think Fordham was, was capable of last year. But you know, that's, you know, that's the thing. Fordham needs to put themselves out there, you know, and continue to just, you know, schedule, not, not schedule whoever, but schedule teams that, you know, maybe people don't want to pick up and show that, that, you know, they can, they can get in these good games. So, you know, before we get into the last thing that I want to talk about, uh, Daniel, I know you, I know you wanted it. You, you definitely want me to talk about this, but uh, with the whole Kyle Neptune situation, right? Yeah. I want to know what your thoughts are. I want to know how is Kyle Neptune going to do first year in the Big East? Was this the plan all along? Did he leave Villanova? Was the Fordham year a trial run? So Jay Wright knew if it was time to retire, was this an inside job? I mean, like, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to put my tinfoil hat on for this. Right. Um, <laughs> and I also don't want to say, I, I also like don't want to speak so confidently on things that I, I honestly really don't know. Obviously, you know, <laughs> I've never like been, I've never like gotten like a dinner at like Smith and Walensky's with like Kyle Neptune and, uh, and Jay Wright. So I, I, I don't know, but obviously those guys have had a close relationship for a very long time. And I'm sure that at some point, you know, Kyle Neptune was was getting ready to, you know, break into the head coaching world and Fordham was a great opportunity for him. And I'm sure at some point they had a conversation, right, where Jay Wright was going to be like, hey, look, you know, when it's time for me to go, I'm going to hand you the keys to, to you know, Villanova. And he was like, of course, like, you know, um, I will say that maybe, you know, Jay Wright, you know, left the game a little bit sooner than he thought. Um, and then Kyle Neptune, you know, because at, at the end of the day, look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk down on Fordham. I mean, it's, it's a program that I want to do so well. But at the end of the day, like, if the seats open at Villanova and you and you have and 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 it's now or never. Like, can I really blame the guy? Can I really knock the guy down that that hard? I really don't think so. It's so, an you eventuality know, it was... for all four of us, honestly, with, with Frank Martin at UMass, Caputo at, at GW, Kim English and Mason. We all know if our coaches do well. And I know? think I think these teams, I think they should try and build these programs. And I think, you know, these the 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 these administrations themselves should do everything in their power to, you know, say, hey, look, maybe, maybe it's better if you stay here. Maybe you can keep building here. But at the end of the day, like right now, I just don't know. I just don't know if that's possible. So like so am I, am I, was I upset that coach Neptune left? Of course. Was I shocked? Yes. Are there any, are there really any hard feelings towards the guy? No, I, 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 I really can't say I have any. And look, if, if you're a Fordham fan and, and you're, and you're upset, you have every right to be, that's just not me. So we're kind of running out of time here, but I kind of, I just want to do something really quick. Uh, you know, cause I, we didn't really get into big conference predictions, but you know, whether this is about, the teams that we were talking about tonight or just something in general, uh, let's just go around and give your hottest A-10 talk take that we can all, you know, kind of rip on uh, in early April. So, Kaylee, you know, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, craziest thing you could think of right now. Honestly, the craziest thing I could think of right now is really UMass actually, like, surprising us and, like, winning, like, regular season conference and – like getting like the number one seed obviously in the tournament play, but also getting all the way to the championship and winning it going back to the NCAA tournament for like the first time in eight years. That would be amazing, but it's a rebuilding year. I don't expect much of it, but that would be amazing if that could happen. Yeah. And you know what? Shoot high. You're the flagship. 
let's ride, right? All right, David, GW, biggest biggest hot take of the year. What you got? Oh, GW, GW hot take. Uh, James Bishop, uh, conference player of the year. But uh, overall, overall conference hot take, I think there could be four bids somewhere around there. Love it. Daniel? George Mason top four. Lock it in. It's happening. This is the effing year, baby. Green and gold. Let's go. Love it. Love it. All right. For me, uh, you know, this, I, you know, this is something I've been, you know, I've been, I've been hearing bold predictions of, and I, I, I would really love to see, I mean, I would love to see Khalid Moore, you know, you know, possibly, you know, challenge for, for, for conference player of the year. I mean, I think he's got the talent. Uh, I think he's versatile. I mean, coach Ergo is really high on him uh, this year. And so, you know, I, I, I that's, that's going to be my hot take uh, as a team, uh, team as a whole. Uh, give me, Give me Fordham, uh, NIT Elite Eight. Let, let, let's get it. <laughs> but that's that's all I got. So, all right. So, closing out. Great to be back. College basketball season coming up. We're just a month away. Uh, A10 Talk is going to be firing away like crazy with the content in these next couple of weeks. We're five days away from Media Day in Brooklyn. I know I'm going to be there. I'm sure a lot of other A10 Talk people are going to be there. It's going to be so much fun, uh, and there's going to be so much great stuff coming out of it. Uh, and we're going to keep staying here. We've got 11 more teams to talk about on the A10 Talk podcast. So we're going to be trying to get all of them in before the season starts. So keep checking back here. Follow all of us on Twitter. We'll have our handles when we tweet this out uh, as soon as it comes out on, on the A10 Talk Twitter. Check us out at A10Talk.com. And uh, just just be hyped. College basketball is back, and life couldn't be better. So until then, we'll see you guys next time.